Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. The church and poverty. The church. They can often be observed on Sunday mornings dressed to a tee. As polished as the gold tee they wear around their necks, ready to dot their I's and cross their T's on their crisp offering checks. Where does all the money go? Is often the question asked. Does it go towards the downcast, the outcast, and the lowest caste, or does it just go to the pastor? The church can be seen marching into the safety of their sanctuary, fleeing to the refuge of their present-day ark while showers of poverty flood communities around them. The church, whether big C or little C, my prayer is that they see the sea of people who are suffering and stop treating poverty like leprosy, not wanting to get too involved. Poverty is an insufficiency, a deficiency, a lack of means, most commonly fiscally. There is absolute poverty, likely the one you're most aware of because it has obvious markers. It's easy to see a poor wanderer without shelter or spot the naked without proper clothes. It's not always hard to recognize the homeless as they shake their cup of change in tune to your worship songs. This is the kind of poverty we know, the kind of poverty that makes our hearts burn within us. Let us be quick to show mercy. Father, forgive us for any judgment that we harbor. When we say ignorant things like the beggar should have worked harder, may we not be a church who walks past the poor outside the temple, but may our actions resemble you. Poverty. Being so apparent and visible. Should absolute poverty be considered any more important than other kinds of poverty? Well, absolutely not. Consider relative poverty. This one not so easily seen, but you come across it more often than you know. When the incoming flow of money is slow, but it's fast to go. Dollar signs turn into peace signs, vanishing like airlines over Malaysia. You approach your paycheck like a landmine, cautiously. Or just watch it from the sideline because you have no control over it and all you can do is observe. How can the church help these people? Sprinkled throughout our congregations, they seem to have it all together. A big, beautiful house on the outside, but what you don't see is that they can't even afford heat, struggling to make ends meet, and poverty doesn't just end there. 
let us not be remiss to dismiss poverty that extends far beyond any monetary value. Let us not ignore the poor that can't simply be helped with a check or disregard the destitute in need of something money can't buy. We can vow to collect larger offerings, cook meals and donate clothes, but there is a need far greater than this when poverty affects souls, when poverty affects hearts. Let's not only offer a hot meal, but also offer hospitality. Let's not only aim to warm a body with clothes, but also aim to warm hearts with love. What's the point of only filling up a cup with change if we don't also fill up a person's mind with truths that will change where they spend eternity? Monetary poverty is momentary compared to the eternal suffering of spiritual poverty. And no, I'm not disregarding present day suffering, but I must also emphasize the need to share Jesus while we share Benjamin's. The church has a responsibility far greater than the world to address poverty holistically, to honor a holy God as we fill pockets and fill hearts. You can turn to Isaiah 58 if you haven't done it already. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles out uh, behind this wall uh, on the table, or if you want, one of the welcome team members will give one to you if you throw your hand up. So. Isaiah 58, our series is City on a Hill. The, the message title today is called, Do Not Hide Yourself from Your Own Flesh. In Isaiah 29, it can come back up, Sanjay, that's all right. Isaiah 29, verse 13 says, And the Lord said, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, yet their heart is far from me. And what this passage does, it reminds us that there's a very real reality that we can say some things with our mouth, we can say some things, we can honor God, it looks like, with our heart, our, our mouth and our lips, but we are far away from God. We can do lots of things that make us seem that we're completely devoted to God, that we're all about Him, and it can all be a front. I could stand up here and I could preach every week and, I, and it could look like I'm all about God. And it can all be a front. You, we can have people leading us in worship like Jermaine and, and, and Shayon and, and the team did today. And it looks like they're all about God. Like they're fully devoted to him. Like they're here for him. And it's all about themselves. You can, you can sit. You can listen. And you can serve. You can give. You can invite neighbors into your house. You can do all kinds of things that makes it seem like to the people watching you that you're fully devoted to God. And you're only devoted to yourself. That's what that verse says. That there's these things that we can do that make it look like we're about God, but we're not about him at all. We can be all about us because we're doing these things because we just want something from God. That's the thing. We can do these things, again, it makes it look outwardly like we're about him, but we're simply wanting something from him. We can look devoted to God and yet be completely devoted to ourselves. Here's our main idea in our message today. Our devotion to God should improve the lives of others. Our devotion to God should improve the lives of others, the people who are around us, the people in need. Jesus says, he says in the gospel, he says, the poor you will always have with you. That's what Jesus says to us. He's like, the poor will always be there. That was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day 
as well. And God, in this passage, I believe, shows us that yes, the poor, the needy are always with us, but he actually wants us to do something about it. He wants us to look after them. Look at verse one, it says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob, their sins. And so God calls Isaiah and he says, go to my people. He says, come and go and speak to them. He says, go and speak to them about their sin. And he says, he says cry aloud. When you go, speak up. He says, when you go to talk to them, hold nothing back. Tell them everything. Tell them the truth and nothing but the truth. He says in verse 1, declare to my people their transgressions. So God's like, Isaiah, don't go and like sweep things under the rug. Lift it all up. Show them the way they're sinning against me. As God's messenger, he has to be faithful in pointing out their sin. And this is actually grace from God. You understand that? That Isaiah going and God calling him to go and tell these people these things is actually a mercy from God because in sending Isaiah to speak to them, God is giving them a chance to repent. It's a loving act. And just like God sent Isaiah, God, because he loves us, will send people to speak into our lives. The same way he calls Isaiah and he says, go tell my people their transgression. He will stir people up who are in your life, who love you, who will sit you down and speak into your life. Now, when that happens, here are three things we need to do. When God sends someone to speak the truth and love to you, there are three things that we can do. They're right here on the screen. Here we come. Come on, Sanjay, bring them up. When it comes to correction, here's the first one. Expect it. Expect it. Why? We still sin. Again, we are not yet glorified. So we are going to make mistakes. We are going to do things that, that make it evident to everyone in our life that we are not perfect, that we are sinners who, who need God's grace. So it requires correction. Then the next one is to examine it. Examine it. True things will be shared, even if they're not shared in the best way. Do you know what often happens when people speak into our life? We turn and we, we spend more time looking at what, how they said something rather than what they said to us. And so we get all like sort of bent out of shape. We're like, oh, I didn't like the way you came at me and da 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 it doesn't matter what you said to me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, what they said matters, even if they didn't say it in the best way. And so you examine it and you realize, okay, there's truth that is said here. And then you take ownership of what is said. And sure, maybe you need to roll back on the person and say, hey, the way you came at me wasn't the best way, but here are the things that you said that were true. So yes, sometimes people don't say things to us in the best way. It doesn't mean we should ignore that. We can talk to them about it while saying, what you said, I didn't love how you said it, but it was true in these areas, and here's how I am actually going to seek to repent and change. So yes, I didn't love how you said it, but thank you for saying it. We examine it, and then we entrust it. We entrust it. We don't take revenge. We go to God. We say, what? God, revenge? That is up to you. Judgment is on you. We entrust it. We give it to God. We pray. We leave it to him. We say, God, you defend me. I'm not going to defend myself. You do the work. You're going to do a better job anyway of defending me because if I defend myself, it's just going to make it a mess anyway. So we humble ourselves by praying and asking God to deal with it. When people speak into our lives, we don't attack them and destroy them. Do you know that this is what they did to Jesus Christ? 
Jesus comes and he speaks the truth in love to the people who are around him. And you know what they do? They go on the offensive. They destroy. They kill Jesus for what he has to say to them. But God, in his wisdom and good providence, used the nailing of Jesus to the cross as a way to open the door of salvation for us. So we don't attack. We entrust. We leave it to the Lord. Now, I grew up in a house with a single mom and three sisters, and it was very hard for them, I think, to live with me at different times. My sister's sitting right over there, and she's laughing. It was hard to live with you two. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh all you want. But because my mom, she worked very hard, and so she always, one of the things she did a decent job of, she just organized the house. So all of us had chores. So we all had something to do. My thing was I had to clean the fridge and mop and sweep. I hated those things. But every now and then I'd find myself where I'm just doing it all nice. The fridge is extra clean. I'm going like above and beyond. I'm taking out the glass. I'm washing it, wiping it down. I'm getting things in the corner and mopping. And I'm also going a little bit further. I'm doing my sister's chores. I'm like fixing my mom's bed. All because... I wanted my mom to be like, you're such a good son. I love you so much so that I could turn around and be like, can I go out with my friends tomorrow night? I wasn't saved. Come on. It was all a front. It was all manipulation. I was doing all this extra work because I was putting my mom in a jam. I wanted her to be able to not, not be able to say no to anything I asked. And if she said no, I'd be like, look at all the work that I did. Come on. It was all manipulation. And what I was trying to do to my mom between the ages of 12 to like 21 is what these people, that's a long time you're thinking, <laughs> is what these people are trying to do to God. Look at verse 2. It says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Verse three, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, your fast, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting like yours this day will not be, make your voice to be heard on high. Verse five, is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself. It is to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under his head. We call this a fast, a day, a day acceptable to the Lord. Here's our first point today. False devotion aims to manipulate God into getting what I want. It aims to manipulate God into getting what I want. That word in verse 2, seeking, makes you think that they're, again, they're all about God. He says, he says they're, they're acting like they're seeking me for the right reasons, but there's deception in their actions. See, they're doing the spiritual thing. They're doing the fast, but it's because they're devoted to themselves, and their question reveals this. You see their question? It's in verse 3. They say, why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? You can hear their frustration with God. They're like, we've done the thing that you're telling us to do. We've done the spiritual thing. And why aren't we seeing any benefits? Why aren't we seeing any results? What are you waiting on? They actually think God is being completely unfair to them. They've checked the box. 
but they're not seeing any results. That's because it's all ritual on the outside. And there's no deep spiritual reality going on on the inside. God can see through their hypocrisy, though. Their hypocrisy. I want to say that right. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He can see through it. He says, when they fast, they seek their own pleasure. He says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. It's all about you. You are acting like you're devoted to me, but you're not. He says that, that, that when they do it, they oppress their workers. And that's because they're, they're probably so, it's such a, it's such a, it's so ritualistic, it's so man-centered that they're, they're, they're hungry and so they're irritable. And so the way they're treating the people that, that work for them is, is terrible. It says when they fast, it leads to arguments and violence. You see it in verse 4? It says, behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with wicked fists. Fasting should have brought this peace to their hearts as they focused on God. It should have brought peace and joy in their life, but that's not what is had here. And it says God is not listening to them. Verse 4, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. The, the door of heaven is shut. They're saying stuff. They're going to him, but God is not responding to him. And there's this important lesson for us in this, and it's this. We can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Right? We've heard that before. That's not new. You can fool people. I can fool you, but I cannot fool God. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. All of our actions, all of our motives are fully on display to God all the time. And so you think about that even when you think like you're hiding sin in your life. There's no such thing as hiding sin from God. He can see all of it. And so the lesson for us is that we need to always check our motives. We need to ask the question, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? As your pastor, one of your pastors in this church, I always have to ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it because I want God to get glory? Is it because I want the church to be in a, a good space? Is it because I want unbelievers to come to faith in Christ? Or is it because I want something for myself? And you can be doing the same things when we open our Bibles, when we serve our neighbors, when we pray, when we serve in ministries, when we gather on Sunday, when we give financially to the Great Commission, when we help the poor. All these things are good things. But we always have to ask the question, am I doing this because I'm devoted to myself? Or is it because there's a true devotion to God? See, because here's why this question is so important. Because if we're doing it, because it's just about us, when God doesn't give you the thing that you want, you'll get bitter. When that thing that you're expecting and waiting on does not come, you will get frustrated and angry with God. That's what you see in these people's lives. There's a bitterness to them. There's a resentfulness of God. See, true devotion, true devotion is this. It's being convinced that God's way is right, that he is worthy of all praise, 
It's being convinced that God's way is right, that he is worthy of all praise, that he is worthy of my obedience, whether he gives me something or not. Did you catch that? Worthy of all praise, worthy of my obedience, whether he gives me something or not. See, we can live our lives so that people see that we're in a relationship with God, not for what we can get, that we're in a relationship with God because of what he's already given, his son, Jesus Christ. So the people are denying themselves food together, blessing from God, but that, that's not what God wants. There's a specific thing that he wants. Look at verse six. It says, is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to, hi- and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Here's point number two today. True devotion aims to love others by giving what they need. A true devotion to God aims to love others by giving them what they need. I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and he said, Marv, love is work. And I was like, I want to end this phone call. But he's like, love is work. And it's true. In these two verses, we see the work that God requires of his people, the work that he's calling from us towards the poor, the oppressed, and the needy. The, the phrase to loose the bonds of wickedness means, means to work for the release of someone who is being held unjustly. To, to undo straps and to break every yoke means to work to eliminate any system that treats people like animals. It's to eliminate anything that does not treat people like human beings who are born with inherent dignity and worth because they're made in the image of God. This is what it looks like to end acts of oppression. A great example would be William Wilberforce, the British politician who worked hard, who worked tirelessly to end the slave trade. In verse 7, Isaiah calls them to share their bread with the hungry, to give the homeless a place to live, to give clothing to those who lack it. See, living like this is called a fast. You're like, why is it called a fast? It's called a fast because you can't live like this without some sacrifice. You can't care for people, the needy around you in this way without actually giving some things up. See, the sacrifice that was required, what's going on is these people aren't making it. There's the sin of deception in their life, but there's also the sin of selfishness. They're ignoring those Around them, Alec Motier in his commentary said, the people of Israel assume that it's possible to be religious and socially indifferent. It's possible to act like you're devoted to God. They think that, that this is possible and be socially indifferent. They thought that they could just go and do their like spiritual thing, their church thing, and just kind of walk past the person who's in need. And God says, no. And this is the danger we face as a church. Do you understand that? That things haven't changed all that much. 
that this is still a danger that is in front of us. It's possible for us to come to the city, to come to this part of this neighborhood, to gather, to sing, to listen to messages, to serve one another and be completely indifferent to the things that are going on in this neighborhood. And trust me, if you just watch the news, there's lots of things going on in this neighborhood. And if we were to come here and all we did was this, that would be a fail in God's eyes. It would just be us giving into selfishness, becoming insular, only being about ourselves. And I'll tell you right now, I don't want to be a part of any church like that. We are. He, God does want us to gather. He does want us to give. He does want us to serve. He does want us to pray. He does want us to share our faith. But he also wants us to help the poor and the needy. This is part of making disciples as well. Making disciples isn't just about getting people to read their Bible and pray more. Again, those things are important. But it's also going to the least of these. Galatians 6.10 6, says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. We are to do good to all people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. A true devotion to God moves us to help the needy. See, because the closer we get to God, the more you learn about God, just read, like, read through the Old Testament and notice how many times God is like, help the poor, help the oppressed. You read, through the, you read through the book of Ruth and the command is that they're supposed to leave some of the grain that they're gathering on the side so that the poor can come and just pick it up. They're to make it easy for them. God's saying, when you're working, when you're making money, don't just sort of think about yourself. Think about those who don't have the ability to do those things and leave something for them. We're called to this. And I don't want to keep this abstract. So I want to give you like a couple practical ways that we can do this. And these aren't the only ways, but I just want to give you a few. Here are like a few ways that we can actually help the needy. Pursue and encourage other Christians to pursue jobs in politics, law, social work, and medical fields. You're like, why? Because some of the biggest decisions in our society are made in those areas. And so what would it look like if there was just a Christian influence in some of those areas setting some of those laws? Because some of those laws are made and they're not actually helping the needy. In some ways, they, they enforce more acts of oppression. And so we are to pursue those things and, and go for those things if we can. Sponsor a child with Compassion Canada or pursue local adoption. So as, you, as you're sort of going about your life and you realize may, there's, there's different things that we could possibly do. So just, just start by that, just sponsoring. I, we love Compassion Canada. There's a lady from Compassion. She's going to come and she's going to speak to us about how we can be partnering and working with them because we just believe in the ministry because they will, they're, they're helping kids and they're also telling them about Jesus Christ. It's a word and deed ministry, which is good. Or pursue local adoption. Begin looking into what that may mean for your family. Carry snacks and water in your car to give to the poor. You know a little side door thing? Just drop a couple things in there. And as you see people, just out the window, here you go. Blessing people as you go along the way. Do you know what, like, 
right now, we live in Mississauga. Lord, Lord willing, be praying for this. We will be able to find a house and move here. But as we drive home, we count all the time. There's like five or six homeless people on the way home. And I'm sort of just getting tired of like, oh, we don't have anything this week. We just need to be more intentional to be thinking about that as a small way to bless those people. Sponsor Support, sorry, gospel-focused organizations working to get people places to live. And there are organizations in our city. And we can talk about that after the service if you want. Give something up for two years so you can give someone uh, you know, give uh, money to someone you know who's struggling financially. Just choose something, right? That Starbucks run or whatever it is that you go to, just sort of don't do that no more. Just take two years and say, I'm going to, that's not a lot of money. Choose something else, just like $4. <laughs> that just dawned on me. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but choose to sort of give something up for a long time and use that money to bless other people. Make time in your schedule to serve with programs that are helping at-risk youth. And if you have ideas, share them with one another. Again, this, all the knowledge isn't up here. Let's minister to one another and get ourselves active in doing that. These things, again, will require sacrifice. But this is what it means to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see in verse 7, it says, Do not hide yourself from your own flesh. That word flesh can mean immediate family or just humanity in general. To hide yourself from your own flesh, it is, it's, it's to refuse to treat someone who is struggling and help, uh, to, to help them in a humane way. It's to ignore that. This is the fast that God chooses, sacrificing so the needs of others are met. And look what he promises when they obey. Verse 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will, Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Four blessings are promised. Light breaking forth speaks to the beginning of new life. Healing speaks to personal restoration. The Lord shall be your rear guard speaks to security and protection. The Lord will answer, points to answered prayer. God promises these people. This is the blessing that will come to them in their obedience. And we can experience the same things when we, on this side, obey the Lord and do the things that he is calling for, working to meet the needs of others. We will see People receive new life as we serve them and give them the things that they need, but also share the gospel with them. Some people will come to Christ. We will experience healing from the selfishness that sometimes can drift into our life and the indifference that sometimes is in our life towards the poor and the hurting. We will have God's protection as we walk in humble obedience. We will experience answered prayer because we will begin praying for the right things. We will no longer just be praying for more for me, more for me, more for me, more for me, God, more for me. Just give me a little bit more. Our prayer won't be driven by that. Our prayer will be, help us, God, to know how to care for those who need it. Help us, God, to, like, to lead us by your spirit to go to that person and to be willing to step into that. Our prayer will stop being, being like, more for me, more for me, more for me, and more for others. God delights to answer that prayer. 
It's a prayer that's not driven by selfishness. It's a prayer that's driven by humility, a prayer that's driven by care, a prayer that's driven by love. Think about your prayer life right now. How much times are you praying just about yourself? And there's moments where we need to be focused and crying out to God for something going on in our life. But that's, if that's all you're ever praying about, that you're in a bad spot. We need to be praying and calling on God to help us to help those who are in need, to be a blessing to others. See, this passage reminds us that God cares deeply about all suffering. And sometimes it can get presented like all God cares about is the spiritual suffering. That's very important. But God also cares about the, the physical suffering of others. And God wants to use us. I heard one amen in the back. God wants to use us. God wants to use us. It's okay to talk in church. God wants to use us to bring salvation as we share the gospel and physical care in the lives of those who need it in this city and around the world. Again, it's easy to come here and just be all about ourselves. We don't want to do that. Now, the strength, the conviction and desire to do this does not come from me just standing up here for like 30 minutes or whatever it is and just kind of yelling. It doesn't, that's not where the strength comes from. It doesn't even come from us just sort of walking out of here like, I'm going to do it. That'd be weird, right? You're just kind of out on the sidewalk. I'm going to do it. People would be like, I don't know what's going on across the street. You know, so that's not where the strength comes from. Here's where the strength comes from. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus had everything. That though he was rich, he looks at us in our need. And he says, yet for your sake, your sake, Marv, stuck in your sin, Marv, in all of your neediness, Marv. Though he was rich, in all of your need, Jesus looks at you and he becomes poor, it says, so that you by his poverty might become rich in salvation. Jesus looks at us and he says, you are needy. And he gives all to us, everything that we need. See, Jesus gives up the peace of heaven. He gives up the riches of heaven so that we can have the peace of salvation and peace with God. Jesus comes to us and he is the one that says, here I am. You see that in verse nine? Then you shall call and the Lord shall answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. And Jesus is the fulfillment of verse 9. He comes and he says, here I am. And now he looks at us and he says, to you, Marv, to you, church, that has, that has had all of your needs met, you now turn around and you walk over to that needy person and you say, here I am. And help meeting those needs, sacrificing. This is what God wants for we started this service with this song called Build My Life. And the chorus of the song captures so much of God's heart for us. He says, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. There's this, there's this worship of God. It's okay, worship team, come on up. It's all right. They're like, what do we do here? 
There is no one like you, none beside you. There's this focus on God. There's a love for God. You see it right there. And then it says, open my eyes in wonder. So I want to know more about God. I'm focused on him. He's beautiful. He's everything to me. And I want to know more about him, but not so I can just sort of hoard it all to myself. It says, show me who you are and what? Fill me with your heart. And lead me in your love to those around me. That is, that's, the, that's, the, that's the great commission and the great commandment. We are to go. We are to glorify God in all that we do. Be all about him. And we are to love others as we are doing it. Part of being led by God in, our, in his love to those around us is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them and meeting whatever needs are in their life. Our faith should move us. Our faith should move us to improve the lives of others. This is part of true devotion to God. And just like Jesus Christ, we can deny ourselves not to manipulate God, but to meet the needs of others. We deny ourselves not to manipulate God, but to meet the needs of those around us. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.